man, I'll tell you, uh, I love a little chaos. Shakes things up a little bit. And no chaos is better than that than the sound of children. And the sound of children singing. I've been thinking a lot about music and how important music is in our lives. If you read some research, it'll tell you that music has cured just about everything. It's good for our immune system. It's good for our blood pressure. It's good for calming us down, all kinds of things that music does. And I think that part of that has a lot to do with the words that are found in the music that we sing, in the songs that we love, on the music that we sing, those words. Words have so much power. Words have so much power. The words that you speak to other people have power. Words that are spoken to you and how you choose to hear them has power in your life. Words have the power to build up people and they have the power to tear down people. Words have the power to really create strong relationships and words have held the power to tear down and destroy relationships. It's so important for us to recognize the importance of the words that we speak and how we speak them. Um, Songs are, the words of songs have a way of planting themselves in a way, if you will, in our hearts. I know they plant themselves in our minds. Um, My uh, daughter and I, on Friday, went to uh, a talent show here at University United Methodist Church We have several different outlets for uh, meeting the needs of special needs children and adults. And our Helping Hands program is a program that meets Monday through Friday um, to meet the needs of adults with special needs. And on Friday, they had their talent show. And I want you to know that all weekend, I have been singing, I'll have a blue Christmas. I mean, because everybody did that, it seemed like. There was so many impersonations of Elvis going on on Friday. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. But music has this way of planning itself in our hearts and in our minds. Some years ago, I was working in a hospital, and I had a patient who would frequently be uh, hospitalized. She was an older woman with absolutely, she was just strikingly beautiful. She had this long auburn, auburn hair, and she would be hospitalized because she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so I had an opportunity to really kind of get to know her through her family, through her daughter. And we watched as her vibrant personality just continued to diminish. But I had this really huge office when I worked at the hospital, and one whole wall of that office was just windows. This was in College Station, Texas. The view was amazing. It even included the infamous Kyle Field. And so I would bring her, I would go to her room, get her her in her wheelchair, and bring her into my office and let her sit there and look out the window for the company for both of us. On the particular day that I'm remembering, I played a cassette tape. Some of you remember what those are. Before the days of Spotify and YouTube and all of that, there were cassette tapes. And I, I played this cassette tape from music from the 1930s. And my auburn-haired friend who had not spoken a word in months, who had lost the ability to recognize even her own daughter. A song came on that cassette tape, and she kind of straightened herself up a little bit in her wheelchair. And I watched in absolute amazement as a woman who hadn't spoken a word sang, let me call you sweetheart, I'm in love with you. Let me hear you whisper that you love me too. 
Keep the love light burning in your eyes so true. Let me call you sweetheart. I'm in love with you. I just sat there in, I mean, utter disbelief and amazement. But the words of that song had taken up some resonance like in her heart and in her mind. And she sang that song from beginning to end without missing a word. It was, you know, before the days of iPhone, so I couldn't record it. We just had to sit there in the moment and just be in that moment with her. Later that day, I called her daughter and told her daughter all about it. And her daughter said, you know, my mom and dad owned this convertible. And my mom would sit up on the back seat, up, where her hair would fly in the wind and they would listen to their favorite music. And she said, that was my parents' favorite song. University of Florida did some research on the power of music on the human brain. And they said these things. If you play someone's favorite music on an MRI, different parts of the human brain actually light up in that person when they hear their favorite song or their favorite type of music. It goes on to say this. Memories associated with music are emotional memories which never fade out, even in Alzheimer's patients. I want to suggest to you today that a song that is a song of your heart is a song that doesn't fade out when it's a song of your heart. This morning we're going to read scripture that includes a song that lived in the heart of Mary and a song that lived in the heart of her cousin Elizabeth. Beautiful words. It's also called the Song of Mary or the Song of Mary's Praise, the Magnificat, in Latin meaning my soul magnifies the Lord. So before we read the scripture, Mary's already been visited by the angel Gabriel, and she's been told that you're going to have a child, and that child's name is going to be Jesus, and that child is going to be the Son of God. And so she's gone through all of that, and she's on her way to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And so I invite you, if you have your Bibles with you, um, to open them now. We're going to be reading Luke chapter 1, verses first 39 through 45. Hear now the word of God. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And why has this happened to me, she said, that the mother of my Lord comes to me, for as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. So Elizabeth knows that something's going on, like she's in the presence of Jesus even before he's born, and she's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. When we are in the presence of Jesus, there's the opportunity to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth speaks those words that I've heard so many times at rosaries. Blessed are you, Mary, among women. Blessed is the baby in your womb. Blessed are you. And then Mary responds. Mary's first words are the song of the Magnificat. My son Sam and I were talking this week, and he said, um, Mom, have you ever been worried that the last words you ever speak won't be good ones? And so I was like, you don't have to tell me what you're talking about, dude. I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, you know, like something would happen that would surprise you. It would be like an accident. And your very last words on this earth would be something really bad. 
because you're in shock. And I was like, well, I, I wasn't worried about that, but clearly I am now. Thanks a lot. And so I told him this story that I'm about to tell you. I was, I was raised um, in a Protestant de- denomination, not as a Methodist, but I was visiting someone at a hospital in Bryan, Texas, and the name of that hospital was St. Joseph Hospital. When I pulled up into the parking lot, the weather was absolutely horrible. It was still, and it was dark in the middle of the day. It was dark. The sky was as dark as I have ever seen the sky in my life. And I got out of my car, and as I was walking right in front of my car, lightning struck. Bam! I mean, like, right there. I thought that I was struck. I thought I got struck by lightning because I could feel the electricity and all the hair stood up everywhere on my neck. And I thought I'd been struck by lightning. And these are the words that came out of my mouth. Holy Mary, Mother of God. And I don't know how to explain that. I literally don't. I have never been Catholic. And these are such... <laughs> I, I, I don't know where I, I was like, oh, maybe I'm in front of a Catholic hospital. That, that, maybe that's why these are the first words that are the, what I thought were going to be the last words of my life. But I want to tell you before we read this, these words of Mary that I grew up in a Christian denomination, again, not Methodist, but got here as quick as I could. Um, and I was taught in that denomination that the Catholic Church puts too much emphasis on Mary, that they overemphasize the role of Mary. And I am not going to, by any stretch of the imagination, get into that conversation, but I want to suggest to you today that as someone who has grown up Protestant and still is, that we under-emphasize the role of Mary. We tend to under-emphasize the role of Mary. I want you to stop and think about this for a moment, that Mary is the person that God chose to be the mother of Jesus. So I think there's something we can learn from Mary and the first words she speaks to her cousin, Elizabeth, beginning with verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. First words out of her mouth, my soul, everything about me, all that I am, magnifies the Lord, extols him, exalts him, brings him glory. That's who I am. That's the song of my heart. My spirit, everything in me, rejoices in God, my Savior. This is so beautiful to think about that Mary's first words when she speaks to her cousin Elizabeth. I I, I think about sometimes when I read about people in the Bible, what would I be doing in a role like that? I think my first words to Mary would be like, can you believe this? I can't even believe this. Like, nobody's going to believe me. Everybody's going to call me a liar. I'm going to lose all my friends. People are going to talk bad about me behind my back, and I just don't think I can handle all this drama. I think that's kind of how I would be. Mary, in that moment when life may have felt incredibly overwhelming for her, knew the song of her heart, and the song of her heart was, my soul magnifies the Lord. Everything within me rejoices in God, my Savior. She goes on to say, For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. On the lowliness of his servant. 
Mary recognizes her place in this. And I want to I want to say to you that I think it's important for us to understand our place. That we that we come before God, a saving God, with a sense of humility, recognize kind of where we are, but we're not meant to live in a place of lowliness. God did not leave Mary there, right? We're not meant to live in that, but we're also not meant to live in this place where we think that we have no need for God and that we can solve all of our own life's situations and our ego gets completely out of check and we think that we are so much more than we are. Mary was in that place in between where she understood where she came from and understood who she was and that she was in a lowly estate and, and God had regard for her. But she didn't take it so far to the other extreme. Have you heard that arrogance is the only disease that makes everybody sick except the person who has it? She doesn't go to that place of arrogance. She says, but he has had regard for me. For the mighty one has done great things. She says, surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Holy is his name. Mary doesn't say, I'll be called blessed because of me and because of what I will do, but because of what God will do. How many times in our own lives do we let, allow ourselves to be in this place where we're like, well, I can sure see why God picked me because... I'm pretty cool, pretty good. She says, no, I see what God can do through me. Holy is his name. Verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I love that Mary sees the personal mercy in this and the personal grace that God has for her, but she also gets that it's not just for her, that this is something that's gonna be for generation to generation. From all who are ever born, this is for them as well as it is for her generation to generation, for he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Now, part of this is important for us to know is that sometimes we have made decisions about who God really came for, who, who is God really for, and we think maybe it can't be us because we're not smart enough or bright enough or rich enough or well-known enough. And Mary's saying, look, these things, if we allow them, can get in the way, actually. They have more of a tendency to get in the way of our relationship with God. And she talks about and, is, and reminds us that God came for everyone, that God has a heart, a heart for people who live on the marginalized edges of the world, for people who are living in poverty, for people who are living in brokenness, for people who are grieving, for people who we maybe have decided don't fit. And Mary says, no, these are the people. This is who God is sending his son for. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God remembers his promises and God remembers his people. I think that we are indebted in many ways to Mary. We owe her a debt of gratitude for the fact that she serves to remind each and every one of us what God has done for us through his son Jesus what God has done for you and what God has done for me. 
when I stop and think about like the trajectory from my life when I was in my mid to late 20s, and what the grace and the mercy of God have done in redeeming my life, the song of my heart will always be a song of gratitude. Will always be a song of gratitude. For those of you who do not know me and have never heard any part of my story, suffice it to say that when I went to some of my friends to say that I was going to become a pastor, the response was shock. One person even said to me, have you forgotten all the things you've done? You can't be a pastor. But see, Mary reminds me and reminds you that God takes us from wherever we are, whatever we've done, and uses us for his glory. Not our own, but for his glory. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That's the song I want to have be the song of my heart. She reminds us of the faithfulness of God in remembering his promise and remembering his people and his love for his children. I think it's important for us to stop and ask ourselves some questions in regard to what Mary has to say in her song of praise toward God. What is the song of your heart? And I know that sounds a little bit cliche-ish and maybe even slightly cheesy. But I want you to compare it to kind of like this. This is really going over the top with cheesy. On Facebook, you can click on something and have someone who's never met you and doesn't know anything about you except what you've chosen to post on Facebook tell you what kind of anything you are. My sister is 10 years younger than I am, and she loves this stuff. She like eats this stuff up. Just out of curiosity, this morning I decided to look on her Facebook and just go back and see how many times she'd recently done that. And just since Thursday night, there are one, two, three, four, five, six things like, uh, I'll give you, which fruit are you? Uh, what does your user manual look like? Um, and which, kind of, which Christmas character are you? And then somebody from somewhere comes back and says, you are a pineapple. Are you whatever they tell you that you are? I, I got to admit that there have been a couple of times that I've been like, I really want to know what somebody would say. And the one that really got me that I almost gave into was what would be the breaking news about your life? And I was like, you know what? I'm too scared. It'd be like something like jail. Anyway, <coughs> when, we have, when we look at the lives that we live, the words that we speak, the choices that we make, what, what would someone who knows us, someone who sees us, what would they say, oh, this is the song that is a reflection of that person's life? You see, Mary's song was a reflection of what was in her heart, a reflection of the goodness of God, a reflection of the love that God had placed in her heart, and she couldn't help but sing about it. She could not help but sing about it. I want the song of my heart, I want to tell you what I want the song of my heart to be, is that I am amazed that Jesus loves me. I'm amazed by that on the daily, that Jesus loves me. 
I don't know if that's amazing to you that he could love you, but he does, and I think you should be amazed by it. I think on every day of our lives, we wake up to the song that's in our heart that says, I'm amazed that you love me, and a natural response to that amazement, a natural response to that grace that's important to every one of our hearts should be that we would want to talk about it, we would want to sing about it, and we would want with all of our hearts for our lives and our words to be a reflection of the goodness of God and the mercy of God, the song of our heart. And when we're able to do this, when we're able to say these things and live this way, I think the song of our heart is a song that will never fade. It will never fade. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in Jesus our Savior. I'll tell you that as a pastor, I get to hear the words that people speak in many different settings and in many different situations. As a pastor, some of the words I hear people speak to each other are words of covenant and joy and deep happiness. When people walk down an aisle and stand together and I ask them questions and they say vows, they speak words of covenant and words of joy. The song of their heart is a song of happiness. My soul magnifies the Lord. As a pastor, I also sit with people when the words that they speak are words that come from a heart that is so broken, they're not sure of the next step. I sat with a family this week as they spoke words to their little boy who's four as he transitioned from this life into life eternal. And the words that they spoke to their child were words of love and covenant, words of hope and words of promise, song of salvation. Even when we are in the darkest, most painful moments of our lives, the song of our heart won't fade. The song of our heart will be, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, and I am amazed that Jesus loves me. Let's pray about that together. God, we give you praise and thanks that your amazing love has been poured into each and every one of our hearts. We pray that our lives and our words will always be a reflection of that love. Let the song of our hearts be songs that never fade, that never go away, and that when we're rejoicing in the most exciting and happy moments of our lives, we can say, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And that the song of our heart, as a result of the love that you poured into it, would be that even when we are in those moments, when the pain is palpable, that the song of our heart will remain. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Let it be true. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.